Welcome, everyone, to the Obligations of Memory podcast. I'm Jeffrey Geisner, founder of the Jewish Culture and Holocaust Remembrance Group. And we're with a terrific group of people here, the McGee family. And uh, we have Randy, we have Ben, we have Liana, and we have Adam, all hoping to uh, present part of their family story, which I think is great. And I'm going to go to Randy who uh, was sort of the catalyst of getting this interview started. Randy has a terrific book, and I'm going to introduce Randy by reading a little bit of her bio. Uh, Randy received a BA in journalism from University of Southern California and a master's of science management degree from Boston University. She was an art director in Los Angeles and Chicago and owned an art and frame gallery in Israel. Worked in public, or she worked in public relations before marrying and having a family. So I'm going to start off by talking about your book just briefly. And you have authored a book um, called Beverly Hills Concentration Camp, which really has an impactful title. And I want to kind of not get into the details, which we'll do later on. But what was your sort of catalyst for wanting to write the book? what the book meant to you and why you chose the title? Well, the catalyst was that I was in pain, physical pain. I thought my life was perfect and everything was going well. And all of a sudden my body broke down and I started to journal. And the journaling helped me deal with trauma and um, it became a book. One day I decided to type it up and it became a book. And when and was this? When was this roughly? Ooh, well, I published in 2016, so I started that six years earlier, okay. so 2010. And um, when I was thinking of titles, the most authentic title was Beverly Hills Concentration Camp, and I knew I would get pushback for it. I knew people wouldn't like it, but I had to be real about this. So. Okay, so I'm going to ask each of your. Uh, I'm going to ask David. So you get, you gave, she gave, uh, Randy gave up about eight years of some part of her life to write this. And I'm curious as her, as her husband, how you felt about her giving up that much time to write this book? Well, um, you know, it kind of was in stages because the initial stage was more of uh, uh, journaling. And uh, it was very therapeutic and, you know, Randy had stuff to get off her chest. And, and so that was, I think, a helpful process. And then that kind of morphed into writing a book. And uh, yeah, I thought it was a great idea and, um, and a great story. And um, I think we were all a little bit involved in that process, you know, and, and, and kind of cheering her on. It, it, it took a long time and a lot of editing, but, uh, you know, I thought it would it would be beneficial for for Randy and and uh, and a good read. Terrific. And how about Liana and Adam? You gave up some of your mom also to the book writing process, so you can unmute yourself and stay unmuted so that you uh, can contribute at any point in time. So I, and you can see that we're starting off by coming right to you and asking you what you thought about the time. Adam, did you lose soccer games to your mom's uh, book writing and, and dance lessons or, or, or what? Um, I'd say that, I mean, my mom was still very present, whether she was like writing or she was 
um, working on her book at all. She was still, you know, with us. There wasn't really anything that I gave up, I would say. Um, obviously, there was a lot of time on the computer for her and a lot of time that she needed just writing, but, um, you know, she was still there for me at all times. It, it was a, it was a fun process for her. And like, you can tell you, she, she really enjoyed it, even if it was like frustrating at times, like, so, you know, just to see her do that, it, it was, it was good for me too, I would say. Like, I'm glad she went through it all. And Liana, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I agree with everything Adam just said. I think at the time, I always thought it was cool that she was writing a book. Um, like, I feel like it was kind of an example to me, at least of, you know, just because you have a family and kids, you don't have to give up a hobby. You can still be creative. You can still kind of put out those kind of creative projects um, into the world. And I always, I don't think I realized the kind of depth that the book, book really carried until after it was finished, which I know sounds crazy, but I just um, didn't realize how important it was for that story to be told. So I'm super happy that she did it. And she's been my best friend this whole time. So I don't think I missed anything. Well, that's really nice. And how old are you? Look so close in ages. How, how, what are your ages? Who's no, older? Who's is, old? I'm older. Okay, how old are you? I'm 22. 22, and Adam? I'm 20. Ah, so that's very good. Okay, so I'm going to take switch of gears here and now go back to, go ahead, yes, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanna say that they, they had a very integral part in my book because I read them the stories. A lot of times I would read it to them and see their reaction, so. Okay, that's great. So I'm gonna go back and talk, you know, we, we've, I've learned that your mom is still living. Uh, your mom is, what, what's her name? Nadja. Nadja, and she's 95, God, God bless her. And, um, and your father uh, passed when? When I was four and a half, uh, oh. 1969. Wow, so it's gone a long time. So we're gonna go all the way back and we're gonna talk a little bit about um, life before that you know that your parents talked to you about, maybe not your father, but your mother, about their lives uh, before the Shoah. Where did they live? Where, um, and what customs, were they religious? Maybe you can tell me a little bit of what you know about their past. Okay. Um, first of all, my mom did not talk about this at all. <laughs> really not at all. Um, and so that's why I knew how horrible it was because of the silence. Uh, but there were, you know, little hints here and there. So, um, and then later, uh, Ben and I filmed my mother and I asked her a lot of questions and that's how I got a lot of this information. Uh, she was ready to speak at that point. Um, so my mother was born in 1927 in Ozerkov, Poland. And my, hus my husband, my father <laughs> was um, born in Lodz. And I, I'm not sure what year. Um, and so she had a very large family, very religious family. And um, her mother owned a bakery. Her grandmother owned a bakery. And all the kids would come and, um, and uh, you know, get baked goods and look in the window. And she would always describe how, how nice that was to have this bakery and to have all these noodles. They would have noodles at the bakery. Okay. And how, what? On Fridays. On Fridays. The noodles, the noodles are on Fridays for Shabbat. Ah, okay. So the noodles, thank you. Uh, and the challah, right? So, um, yeah, so so the, the grandmother was uh, really the breadwinner of the family. 
and her husband studied. And that's basically uh, most of the stories that I heard. Um, a funny story about the grandfather was that, you know, there were a lot of kids around, a lot of little kids running around, and he wanted to study. So he asked his best friend, um, who owned, who was the head of the jail, to open up the jail and let him come in and study. And, <laughs> and he asked the guy to lock the door. So he basically imprisoned himself <laughs> so he could study and right. uh, keep quiet, you know, have a nice quiet. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on the show, but I do want to trace how your, um, your parents um, came through the Shoah uh, which concentration camps, when did, were they deported, were they, your father must have, may have been in the Lodge ghetto, so, you know, help us understand your background there. Okay, so, um, my mother was in the Ozerkov ghetto, and then the Lodge ghetto, and then uh, she went to Auschwitz. Um, the really important thing, and the thing I remember a lot about uh, it kind of haunts me is when she describes when she stood in front of Mengele and um, she says, you know, she would point her finger and say, you know, she sent my mother. He would point his finger. What? He, he would, would point. Sorry, he would point. <laughs> he would point the finger and um, she would. My mother would go like this. And it gives me chills. I'm sorry, but um, Mengele pointed for my mother to go one way and her mother to go another way. And so my mother survived. And it was because, you know, she, the women were telling her to pinch her cheeks, to look older, to stand up on her tippy toes, pinch her cheeks to make more color in her face. And so she would look stronger. So she survived, um, you know, she went into Auschwitz. Um, when all of that was over, she- How, how old was your mother? Do you know? 11. So basically, she was there from, you know, through all of this, from 11 she to 18. Older. She would have been older, you know, by the time she got to Auschwitz. She was 11 in the, in the, uh, in the ghetto. But uh, Auschwitz, right. I, I think she was 16. From 27 to 43. 1943 is when she, she got to Auschwitz, I believe. So okay. she was 16. All right. So uh, let me just tell you how the world combines threads here. Mm -hmm. My mother was deported at age 15 from Koshitse with her three sisters. Magda was age eight. She was ordered off the catalytic car by Mengele. She was pointed to go left. Her mother wouldn't allow her to go on her own. And they both were perished. They both were perished by gas on day one. So you can see how already, without even knowing our mutual stories, we're starting to have threads that are coming together so yeah. uh yep so okay she was in auschwitz and she survived auschwitz so now we're going to just remove that whole subject okay um because this is really not what our podcast is about but i'm really interested now to understand your parents story of survival so how when they were um when she got out of auschwitz what did she do next did she go to a dp camp did she go back to poland what she did next was she, a, a woman um, took her in, gave her food, a bath, all that stuff, and wanted to adopt her and told her that everyone had died and she didn't believe it. 
And so she said, no, I'm going back to Ozerkov. And she went back to her village and, um, you know, she saw what was really going on, what really happened. And then she saw some relatives who were there with my father. And that's when my father met her. So and where he, was that? Where was this? In Ozerkov. What, what country? Poland. Okay. Ozerkov, Poland. Uh, and then, you know, one thing led to another. They, they went to the German deportation camp together. They got married there and they had my oldest brother there. And how many, what, what are your siblings? You have an older brother? How old uh, is he? Well, he passed away. Uh, he was 14 years older than me. Mm -hmm. um, and is, any, any other siblings? I'm sorry about hear, hear that. That's, uh, I have one other, but he sort of disappeared. It's another okay. story. <laughs> okay. um, I, I do have to say uh, something important is that my father had a daughter from another um, marriage before he met my mother. And she was uh, at the gates of Auschwitz also. And the women brought her in and passed her around like a little football trying to hide her. And, you know, they found out. So, so I had a half sister that perished in the Holocaust, hmm. which is, yeah. yeah, just thought I want, I just want to mention that. Well, the legacy is really important. And so your parents met in a D, uh, met at the DP camp and what was their life? How long did they spend in the DP camp? How did they figure out and did, you know, where did they immigrate to? Did they come to the United States? How did they get to the United States, if that's the case, or maybe a different country? Tell us a little bit about how they, how their trip to the United States. And Ben, are you are, are you a two G as well, or are you a second generation, or are you have no Holocaust, right? No Holocaust. I'm I'm third generation American. Okay. Okay. My, my dad was actually in the uh, in the in the U.S. Navy band in World War II. <laughs> okay. All right. So, all right. So tell us a little bit about how they figured out how to um, get to where they where they've made their first stop. Well, from what I understand, they were choosing between Israel and America. And they decide to get on the, the ship and come to Ellis Island. And that's when their name Leschinsky got changed to Lesser. So um, and you know they 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 lived in New York for a while. Where, where in New York? I don't know. Okay. I don't, exactly. I, I assume the city, and then um, they went to Chicago, which was way too cold for them. And then they ended up in Los Angeles. And my father, um, he was a butcher, he was a tailor, he, you know, he cut bathing suits for Catalina swimwear. Um, he did a lot of jobs before becoming a contractor. And when he became a contractor, he became quite successful and moved to Beverly Hills, like the Beverly Hillbillies, they, they moved to Beverly Hills, so. And your mother, did she have a trade or she was a homemaker or what? A homemaker. Okay, and so when did, uh... When did your oldest brother come along and what was it? And I'm kind of asking you to represent all of your siblings. Um, what was it like uh, growing up? Tell me when you were born, what year? And then what was it like to grow up in a survivor's home? 
uh, I was born in 1964. Uh, well, I would say that uh, before my father died, it, I think that it was very nice. <laughs> it was, you know, I, I felt um, special. But I would say when, when he died, um, everything fell apart. And um, in a way, I, f I felt that my mother gave up on, on things, on certain things. And you could tell sort of by the furniture, by, you know, not, she didn't buy anything new. I, I think that she was so affected by the Holocaust that she didn't deserve anything nice, didn't deserve things. And how, how, how old were you when your father passed? Four, four and a half. Okay, so you can even remember those things, which is quite remarkable that you yeah, can I, kind of dial into the, the fact that you felt that your mother gave up at, even at age four. Yeah, I mean, you know, she would, they would have beautiful furniture from Glabman's Furniture, you know, furniture store, the nice, so she had, they had all the nice stuff, you know, they had parties all the time. I, I, I remember all the parties and her cooking and um, I, I do remember that it was happy. But when he died um, and she was left with three kids, she didn't know what to do. And I think, I didn't think she got the best advice from people either. And it's, it's a learned helplessness that I think she felt from her childhood. Okay. So we're gonna, obviously there's some pain there and I don't wanna spend time on the trauma, but when you um, grew up in that home, and you became a teenager, let's say, what were some of the things that were impacting you that your that you could say um, you sort of inherited? I'm talking about the inherited trauma that we also know that is very much a part of the second generation and perhaps the third generation. Uh, so I'm kind of leaning you down and if I'm not, if I'm leaning you incorrectly, you can of course correct, but you know, what were some of the things you were experiencing as a teenager in your mom's home? Lots of food. Definitely, you know, on the one hand, it was delicious. We had the best food. We never went, I've never been without a meal in my life. <laughs> and um, we had the best. It, at the same time, I had to eat a lot of it in order to be a good girl. I had to be eat a lot. and. My mother would like leave the dishes out with the food on it. I mean, all day so that if in case you were hungry as you walked by the buffet table, you could grab something. Um, and now was your mom a great cook and baker? Yes, she. Oh, yeah, she baked uh, like your mother, I, I believe, um, with your apple pie. Um, oh, yeah, she made apple pies and she made, you know, those strudels and with the little doughs you know, the, the nut little dough. Nut roll, nut roll strudels, yeah. Yes, um, she made all that. And, you know, she made stuffed peppers. She made, you know, she made, um, every, anything she made was delicious. And how did she, I, I'm curious, because my mom never had a recipe that she worked off of. So it was always memory. So did your mother work off of her memory when she cooked and baked? Or do you remember her having a, a, a written recipe? No recipes. No. That is so that is so interesting. I have a story for you about Auschwitz. Um, in my work of leading the group, I did a program with a um, another author, uh, Eva Moraini from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and she had her, her mother who was an Auschwitz survivor, and her mother um, stole some ammunition labels 
On one side, it was grenades and bullet sizes. And on the other side, it was um, completely blank. And she saw hundreds of these. They were thrown away in the garbage and she sneaked them back into the camp. And what was going on in the evenings in the camp is that the inmates were talking about recipes that their mothers would make and the details of what those recipes were. And since my mother, and I could never, I never asked, because as you talked about, my, my never, mom never spoke either, that she, that she would write down these recipes. And she wrote over 600 recipes down that were discussed verbally in the camps. Mm. And Eva's book is called Hidden Recipes, a Holocaust Memoir. And Eva donated the 600 different recipes on the original ammunition labels to the Holocaust Museum in uh, Washington. So wow. that's probably the same way your mother learned is she had, she, at a young age, she was memorizing recipes. My mother cooked 200 different, different um, bakes and I've kind of figured out how to do only 50 of them. I can't get beyond like 50 because I can't find research to do some of the, the research. But I, like your mother, my mother would not allow anybody to leave a table without asking for thirds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is such an interesting uh, way that our parents would react. And food was life for my mom. Yeah. Uh, so it was beautiful in, in one sense. On the other side, um, I was heavy. <laughs> I was... Um, I went to Beverly Hills High. I I, I didn't want to be heavy, mm -hmm. so um, I would watch what I ate as as a teenager. I started to watch what I ate. I remember going asking my mom to take me to the doctor so I could actually have a list of what to eat. And I went to the doctor with her, and the doctor was obese, um, really big, and I felt so stupid to you know asking the doctor and the doctor started laughing at me but she she gave me a um a list of foods and i started to follow what she said so, so i think you'll find this story interesting my mom i was like a pencil growing up sort of like uh adam there and maybe even thinner <laughs> and so i uh, my mom was afraid that i was going to die because i wasn't eating so she took me to the doctor, which was a family doctor. Uh, and he was from Kosciutze, Czechoslovakia, where my mother was. He was a survivor. And she gave, forced him to give me sugar pills. And they were, and they were um, designed to convince me that I was not eating. So I would eat these pills thinking they would make me hungry and that I would eat more food. So it was just the opposite of how your mother um, treated you. But I... I found that story to be really uh, a funny, uh, a funny, funny story. Yeah, and and um, when I when I was dieting, or or actually I wasn't really dieting; I was just eating healthy. I was a bad girl. I was a good girl if I pigged out <laughs> on the on the buffet table. So um, it was very difficult for me just to be to get to the normal place, you know, just yeah. to, to be where everybody else was food wise. My sister would be agreeing with you. She's four years older than I am. And she always had uh, the same kind of concerns, I think she still does. 
Um, and another thing um, besides the food was a fear of going outside. Um, whenever I would want to go anywhere, a concert, go to the beach, go out with friends, my mother would say, do you really have to go? Do you really have to? And, and I would think to myself, well, no, I don't have to, but I want to. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's the same thing, you know, if she would see a, a police car go by, she would say in Yiddish, Irdu, you know, like they're here, you know, they're so um, for a while, it, it took me a long time to understand that this fear had to do with her upbringing. Yeah. So. Okay, I wanted to um, ask you to move it a little forward. And I'm saying you, you're now leaving the home. Your mm -hmm. mother is now on her own, because you've gone to college. So how was you going from LA to, uh, you went to, um, well, you started at Southern California. So did you live at home? Or did um, you live in the dorms or? So uh, I went to UC, San UC Santa Barbara. Uh, I pretended that I had applied to UCLA. I really, um, I had a very dysfunctional home. Um, my brothers were very abusive. It, you know, it was not, it was not a pretty, kind of up, upbringing. And I really wanted to, I guess, escape. And um, so I just applied to UC Santa Barbara and I got in. And I didn't really understand about dorms. I had nobody to help me. And what I ended up doing was renting an apartment and renting half of it out to someone else. Because my father um, built buildings. In my head, it was about renting out space. <laughs> You know, so I um, rented out half my unit and I never lived in a dorm. Uh, I'm really happy that my kids got that experience. So, you know, the experience of living in a dorm and living in an apartment. But uh, my mother never called me while I was, away. I was while I was away at school. She never called me. It was always me calling home and it, I was considered kind of a traitor. I left everybody. Uh, so that was another reason it was just so hard for me to be normal, because nobody else had this kind of pressure. It was as though if I was eating healthy, I was bad. If I was going to learn and wanting to be something in life, I was bad. So that was um, my experience. And fortunately, I had a lot of good friends and I had a few escapist habits that were probably not the best, um, <laughs> you know, but I did what I did, what I had to do. And for me, it was survival, survival for, um, I guess, wealthier people. Okay. So I want to let you know, we've come to the 30 minute mark of our first episode. So uh, I'm Jeff Geisner for the Obligations of Memory podcast. We're talking to the McGee family and we're going to come back shortly uh, and continue on with how you met your husband and Ben. And I think that'll be a really interesting story. So um, let's, uh, I'll be right back. Thanks for, thanks for listening.